like to celebrate Halloween. There's no reason to, but what an opportunity to reach the neighbors, right? And we've done it for a number of years now. Last year, I understand there was a thousand hot dogs that were cooked and given out for free. There's water and drinks given out for free. There's candy given out right here out in the front. People come all over the place. Bibles are given out, free Bibles. So what you can do, if you're not going to come that night, you can come earlier and help set up and help cook and such like that, or you can stay the whole time. But even if you're not coming, please give some candy. So start bringing candy. Just leave it in the back, and we'll use that on that night to uh, give out the Word of God as well as sweets. It's okay, I think, to give out the candy. And then if you have a, if you have a donation, we do not pass a bucket. But in the back, on the left side there, is uh, a little box. If, you, if you'd like to leave something, go ahead. So thank you for being here today. Shall we pray to begin the official service? Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you that we know you are here with us, that we know that you want us to worship you, Lord. So help us as we worship you. You receive these worship, this worship time, Lord, the praise that we offer and pray that you would be honored through the whole time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand back up. We unmute it. There we go. All right. Let's praise the Lord again together. Kindness. 
Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my
team. Thank you so much, all of you. They choose to worship, and they choose to lead us in worship, and we appreciate you guys. Thank you. Okay, right now, the kids, please go in those two rooms, and also the youth, sixth grade through ninth grade, are meeting outside of the patio. So, everybody young, get out of here. Sorry, ninth grade is the oldest. I... <laughs> Patsy, you're not invited. You're too old. <laughs> She's older than sixth grade is what I mean. <laughs> Isn't that accurate? <laughs> anyway, one of the great things, maybe the only great thing, about having the pastor gone is that we get special guest speakers. Isn't that right? And that's wonderful. This morning... We have a missionary to Tijuana, Mexico. His name is Elmo Compton. He and his wife are currently leading blah, 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 Shalom. He'll say what that name is for you when he gets up here. He'll tell you what that name is. Through Restoration and Recovery. So they've been, he's been involved in missions for 12 years, he said. Uh, before Mexico, they were church planting missionaries in Lima, Peru. They planted a church there that is still there, doing well, I understand. And the Peruvian people, they were there for 10 years. He's passionate about missions and engaging God's people in the Great Commission. They have a son named, I love the name, it's Elmo V. And guess what they call him? Spanish speakers, what do you think they call him? What? I heard him back there. Cinco! Cinco, yeah, you, Linda was, didn't want to say it. She had it figured out. Cinco is the 11-year-old, and then a daughter named Hadley, who was one year old. So please, let's welcome Elmo Compton. Thanks, John. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Tell you what, it's a little weird. Um, I haven't preached in English in quite some time. So I actually, it's kind of strange. I've got the nervous butterflies that I used to have when I spoke in Spanish, and now I do it so, so often in Spanish that my, uh, I've got those nervous butterflies again in English, and I'm worried about the English grammar. So if I, if I make a mistake, or if some Spanish comes out, or if I start speaking in Spanish, somebody raise their hand and go, hey, hey stop, okay? Um, because those are just parts of being bilingual. Hey, thanks for choosing to be in church today. Uh, I'm honored to be able to, to stand here and to be able to bring God's word uh, this morning, I, 
I hope that I meet all the expectations that you guys have. I know that I've got big shoes to fill, so I'm just honored that you chose to come and start your week here in God's house uh, this morning with us. Before we get started, here's what I want to do. I'd like if you would all would join me. We're going to do something a little bit different. What we're going to do is we're going to stand. Uh, if you don't, I know you just stood for like forever, but we're going to stand and we're going to honor the reading of one very important passage in the scripture. Would you mind doing that for me? We're going to find Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, it's one of the most quoted um, verses specific regarding the Great Commission, regarding missions. So when you, get, when, you, when you invite a missionary to come and speak, I'm going to speak about missions. That's what I do. That's what my heart is. Uh, and today we're going to do some challenging. I'm going to challenge you about the Great Commission and about missions. Um, let's, let's read this. Uh, if you don't mind, just join me. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we're going to start in verse 16. And now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, church, that's, those are our marching orders. Those, those are, that's what we do as Christians. That summarizes the essence of why we gather, why we equip ourselves, why we study, to be faithful to that mandate. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for this time. Father, I ask that would you bless these next uh, two or three hours that we have here together studying your word. <laughs> Even God has a sense of humor. Father, thank you for being here with us today. Uh, just bless this time we have. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's how I break the nervousness. I, I use humor. That's how I, that's how I get over that. So uh, just before we get into the message, I just want to share a little bit of my story just briefly, how I became to be an international cross-cultural missionary. I, I grew up in a church very similar to this on the other coast uh, in Virginia is where I grew up. Uh, spent most of my adult life in the Northeast, uh, but my first, my formative years were in were in Virginia, a uh, little, little town called Hampton, Virginia. Uh, and uh, I was exposed to missions early on. When I was in service, I was in church one day. Uh, I, I was actually in in church because I had gotten kicked out of Awana because I was the kid that was acting up. And so the punishment—I'm not sure how we do this, why we do this—but we we punish our kids by sending them to church. I'm not sure if we set the right, if we're telling the right story when we do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was being punished by by sitting in the big person, big people church, um, and I, I heard about missions. Uh, I had a missionary that came through who was uh, a missionary to Bolivia, and then later uh, as a teenager, uh, that's, that was the initial seed. And then later when I was a teenager, I uh, heard about a trip going to Peru. Now, it was one of those, I've got ADD, and sometimes I don't focus really well. And so our uh, youth pastor had been talking about this trip going to Peru for some time, apparently, but I had never heard it. And my wife says it's selective hearing. I'm not sure if that's was always been that way or not. But I, I, the day I heard the mission trip was about 10 days or 12 days before the trip was supposed to leave. So I go to my youth pastor and I said, hey, Carl, I, I want to go on that missions trip. He was like, listen, bro, we've been talking about this mission trip for months. And, and it leaves in less than two weeks. Do you have a passport? I was like, no, nah, I don't have a passport, but I just know I need to go on that trip. And he says, well, do you have any money? And I was like, I've got a little bit of money. Like, how much is it? A couple hundred bucks? How much is this thing going to cost me? Well, I didn't have enough money. And so he says, I'll tell you what, make you a deal. If you can get your passport in time, you can go. You can go on this trip to Peru. 
So I was 13 years old and had zero worldview. I had no idea of what life was like outside my little, my little bubble. I didn't know how to get a passport. I had no concept of what this was going to be. And so I go to my mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go to Peru. I need a passport. I think I need my birth certificate, some other things. Uh, I need those from you because I'm going to go get my passport. Same volley of questions. Hey, what? What, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I go post office back then is where you did it. I go to the post office, fill out the passport application, send it off, and kind of forget about it. Less than 10 days later, I get my passport in the mail. Now, if you've ever gotten a passport, you know it doesn't happen like that. You know it doesn't normally happen. Uh, even back then, it didn't happen in, in nine days. It didn't happen like that on the ninth day. So I go to the church the next morning. This is before social media, or I had my own phone. And I walk into church, and I have my, my passport in my hand. Now, I have no idea what my parents let me take my passport with me, uh, but they did. Um, I don't carry my own passport now because I'm forgetful, and I would lose it somewhere my, I, as a as a what was I, 14, 15 years old, I go to my pastor and I go, hey, guess what? And I have this huge grin on my face. And he goes, hey, Elmo, hey. You know the energy youth pastors have? You know what I'm talking about? That it's like this excessive amount of energy. I don't know if you have one of those guys here, but it's almost like fake level of, hey, guys, welcome. And he had that on. And I walked up. I was like, hey, I've got my passport. And all of a sudden, it turned off. <laughs> he was like, oh. It was like, oh, crap, what am I going to do now? This is take what? Because he remembered the promise he made me. He told me, he said, if you can get your passport, the church is going to pay for your trip. Well, I don't think he talked to anybody about that. I don't think he, I don't think he ran it up the chain. I don't think anybody knew about that, uh, that commitment he had made. So he says, uh, I'll tell you what, you'll get in front of the church, and you're going to ask for money. Wait a second, bro. I was homeschooled, right? I don't get in front of people and talk. Um, I, I, I don't get in front of my family and talk much less in front of the church and talk. What are you talking about? Okay, well, I guess that's what it's going to take. That's what I need to do. So the senior pastor says to me before church, hey, don't forget to tell the folks what you need. Don't forget to mention where you're going, what your name is, and, and what you need. You got it. So I walk up on stage, have my Bible in my hand, and all prepared to, to say something elaborate and, and, and convincing. Hi, my name's Elmo. Everybody laughed. I heard, come on, you can let it out. My name is Elmo. It's fine. You can laugh. Everybody laughed. I'm going to Peru next week. Oh, and I need some money. Thanks. And I sat down. <laughs> I, nothing. I didn't have anything else. That's all I had. And God used that opportunity. Uh, the church was very generous, and the church was led to support my harebrained idea to go to Peru as a missionary. And that was the first uh, where I li- that was the first time where I literally fell in love with the concept of missions, of taking the gospel message from a place that has it, places that have churches like this, that have exposure to the gospel, where there's racks of free Bibles, and where we have events where we give free Bibles away, places where there are representations of the gospel, to places where there are not representations of the gospel. So God called me to. And I was a young man, and I knew that was what God had for me. Fast forward many years, I met a young lady uh, who also shared that same passion. Uh, she and I got married, moved to Peru, uh, had, have had two children since, and here we are. So my story along the way, though, I had, anybody here ever had any critics? It was just me. I have critics, right? Um, so when you tell people that you want to move to Peru as a missionary, you're going to find critics. You're going to find folks who are not 
who find holes in that theory. You go, well, but you know, I grew up with you, and I knew that you aren't the right guy for that job. I know that you've got these issues, and that you struggle in these areas, and I know that these things you have, and all those things they said were probably true. <laughs> but uh, along the way, God showed me a couple passages in the scripture that reinforced the idea of the call in my life, what God was calling me to do. So what we're going to do today we're going to look at one of those, one of the passages that God used. It's an Old Testament passage, and some of you theologians might be thinking, what are you talking about? Old Testament story to back up New Testament missions. Trust me. Uh, follow me. It's going to be good. Today, we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, it's a story. We're going to f- we, we find, again, the nation, the people of Israel in this difficult place. Now, the Old Testament is full of these ups and downs. They, the nation of Israel would be obedient and they would, they would benefit from God's blessings on their life and everything would be good. And then they would do this thing called syncretism. They would bring in other gods and begin worshiping other idols and begin marrying people outside. And that was, that was against the express instructions that God had given them. And as a consequence, God would then remove his blessing from them Enemies were then sent or allowed to invade, and then they would be enslaved. And that was a cycle that we see throughout the Old Testament, especially throughout Judges, First and Second Kings. We see uh, these th- this cycle repeating itself. We're in one of those cycles here, Second Kings chapter six. The first several chapters of the book of Second Kings record some pretty incredible miracles. You guys are probably aware of some of those. Um, Naaman. The, uh, the leprosy that Naaman had, that was just before this story. That was a story that happened prior to where we are right now. Floating axe head, that was the, the story that was right before this, where uh, it was a really unique, interesting story that we find. And many other uh, stories that maybe you heard throughout uh, your years, if you spend any time in children's church or in, in Awana, stories that are pretty common. This story, though, gets skipped over. Um, it's a little, it's not quite, uh, it's kind of PG. Maybe a little bit beyond PG, what we see in the Bible. It's probably a good thing that our little littles aren't here with us today because it's a little bit difficult, the story that we're going to look at. So come along with me is what we're going to do. Second Kings chapter 6, we're going to start in verse uh, 24. This morning I'm reading out of the ESV. If you are following along and you're on a, on a device, um, so it says, afterward, Benadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army, and he went up and besieged Samaria. Again, you guys understand, this is part of that cycle. God's blessing has been removed, and the enemy is now entering in and is attacking and besieging a city. And there was a great famine in Samaria because of this invading army. They had done their job, and there was a huge famine that was in the city. As they besieged it, and a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cob, which was just about... Um, one quart or, or one liter. A cob was about one quart or one liter. So a fourth of a liter of dove's dung, dove's excrement, for five shekels of silver. Now the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and he heard a, a woman crying out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. So it's like a pause in the, in the reading right there. So what's going on? We have this city that has stepped out on the... God's instructions, and now they're under attack. They have an enemy at the gate. 
that's a world-renowned enemy, an enemy that's known for stabbing pregnant women in their bellies and ripping out their fetuses, and, and, and an army that's known for being incredibly brutal is now at the gates. So what they did is they shut the gates and they brought everybody inside. Well, almost everybody, we'll see that in a minute. And, and they began to, they began to, they were in survival mode. And this enemy was going to wait them out at the, they would just set up camp, they going to wait them out. And t- as time goes on, food runs out. And now this woman is approaching the king with a problem. Now everybody in the city has problems. Everything's going to heck in a handbasket really, really quickly. And this king is now pacing on the wall, looking at the enemy, looking over at his city, and he's contemplating what his next steps are. He, I'm sure as the leader, as the leader of the military, as the leader of the city politically, he is in, man, he's in a, he, he's in a tight spot. He knows that his city's about to die and he's wondering what his next steps are going to be. And then this woman approaches, she's from down below and she yells up to the king as he's up on the wall and she says, hey king, help me. Now, his first initial response is very interesting. In verse... Um, in verse 27, he responds and he says, if the Lord will not help thee, how shall I help thee? It, listen, lady, I got nothing for you. If God's not helping us, what are you coming to me for? Anybody ever felt that kind of desperation when someone comes to you, with, and, you and you feel helpless? Man, I just don't know what to do to help you. I'm frustrated with you, for you, together. I don't know how to help you. And he, and he responds almost like, now I've got two kids. Uh, my oldest son's 11. Just the other day, he comes to me, and, I, and I'm not as engaged in his schooling as maybe I should be. My wife is very, very on top of his grades and homework and all that fun jazz. Well, I was going through his, his, his homework and his grades, and he had, um, my son has a 58 in spelling right now. And he says, Dad, help me. And I responded kind of like this king. If God's not helping you now, bro, I ain't got nothing for you. I, I don't know what to do, man. I can't, I don't know, right? Well, that's the closest I can get to where this king was. He just in desperation responded in just in anger and frustration. You hear and sense all of those emotions coming out in his, in his response. He continues and says, am I going to help you from the threshing floor? Meaning there's not even any wheat in the city or from the wine press. There's not even any wine here. There's nothing that I can give you. I don't even know how. I can help you. He's exasperated and he's frustrated and he's, he's angry. And then we see almost a break, a breath taken there. And again, as parents, sometimes we respond that first way. Like, I don't know how to help you. And then with my son, I sat down and go, okay, well, let's make flashcards and let's work them through. And we can, we got a lot of time left. And okay, we make a plan. And the king says, well, what's your trouble? That's how he responds later in that verse, chapter 27, verse 27. And she answers with this story that's, Really, really unique um, and really sad. Uh, this is Bible. I hope you're reading along with me. I'm not making any of this stuff up. She says, uh, she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we'll eat my son tomorrow. Now, that's not what you normally hear in church. I get it. And that's why that story skipped over a lot in Iwana because that brings up a lot of questions that maybe are uncomfortable. <laughs> um, why we skip from the full thing I said all the way through two chapters later in Awana, because this is a kind of a, uh, it's a PG-13 story. Wait, why are these ladies eating their babies? What's going on? Verse 29, so we boiled my son, and we ate him. And the next dad said to her, give your son that we may eat him. 
but she has hidden her son. Now, I want to point out a couple of unique things before we move on to my point. The woman wasn't coming to the king expressing frustration or remorse over the fact that she had just committed cannibalism. It's not what she was doing. She was coming to the king expressing anger over the fact that this woman who she made a pact with had backed out of her, her, her end of the bargain. I ate my son yesterday, and this woman was supposed to give her son today, and she didn't, and I'm angry because I'm hungry. That's the, that's, the, that's the image that we need to make sure we have in our head right now. This woman's not repentant of crossing that line into cannibalism. She's, she's angry that this other woman didn't join her. Maybe there's some embarrassment, maybe there's some frustration, maybe there's some guilt, but what she's expressing to the king is, is anger. <laughs> she, she, she represents the depravity of this city. This city is just absolutely absorbed in humanistic, self-serving mentality. She's no remorse over the fact that she killed her baby. We don't see that in the scriptures. Texts don't indicate that to us. Never does it indicate that to us. I come from a place, I serve in places that are absolutely eaten up by sin and the consequences of sin. They're evident. They're on every corner. They're in every conversation that I have with people, their sin is worn on their sleeve, just like this conversation between this woman and this king. And sometimes it's so shocking and so abhorrent, you, 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 you take a step back and you're like, whoa, what? Let me give you an example. Um, I lead presently a ministry called Iglesia Bautista Centro Shalom, Centro Shalom Baptist Church. Um, and the previous pastor had an extramarital affair with a young girl in the church. Now, how that's presented depends on what, which team you talk to. If you talk to the team of the young girl and her story, says it was rape that began before she was a, a, an adult. And that he leveraged his position of power and authority and, and over her for many years. If you talk to the family of the ex-pastor, they go, oh, it's just adultery, no problem. He still can come back and be the pastor here. As a matter of fact, there's a group of people right now trying to take me, remove me from the pastorate and, and bring him back. So that's a battle I'm fighting right now, even today, this morning. Um, I come from a place that sin is so evident and so prominent and so there. People are so far, even people who say they are believers, who are in church, who say they're Christians, act as if they are the farthest from Jesus. And it's sad. And when I read this story, I can't help but think about where I served for more than, well, nearly 10 years in Lima, Peru. Same thing. I worked with people that were far from Jesus and had ever heard the term extra grace required? I pastor a lot of extra grace required folks, a lot of them. And now in Mexico, I live on the compound. So I look out my bedroom window and see the playground and my kitchen window and I see the cafeteria of the facility that we, so um, I have to like put a, a not in service sign on my door at like 10 o'clock at night or I'll get people knocking on my door all through the night um, looking, for pa looking for pastor. And that's why I'm, I'm okay with that because my family moved into that because we know this ministry is worth the investment but requires a lot of grace and requires a lot of Jesus in this moment. So going back to our story, we, we, we find this incredibly sad, difficult story of this city that's now on the brink of utter collapse. And, 
And it'd be really difficult if the story ended right there, wouldn't it, church? Wouldn't it be really difficult if the story ended right there? But I don't know about you, but my story didn't end there. When I was completely and utterly far from Jesus, my story didn't end there. People that I minister to, in the front of your bulletin, uh, you see that picture. We had baptisms three weeks ago. Nine people got baptized. That man, that man, his name's Charlie, he got saved uh, a little over a month ago at one of our outreaches. We did a movie night at our church, invited. We had 300 people come. He and his wife and his son, uh, his son got saved. He got saved. His wife rededicated. His wife has Parkinson's. Uh, she's struggling physically. Um, they joined the church, they were baptized, and have been at church every day in spite of physical challenges that are going on. And that man represents... That man represents restoration and new life and the healing of the past hurts that this congregation has suffered for a long time. And it was really funny, no, it wasn't funny, it was challenging. When I baptized that man, there were people who got up and walked out in our church. You believe that? Because I said, as actually, in that moment that that picture was taken, in that moment, I was commending the people who had worked in our outreach and said, hey, this is fruit to your account. Thanks for coming and being part of, we showed a kid's movie, I think that night we showed Monsters University or some stupid movie. And I don't know what it was. And I was able to sit at the picnic table and have conversations with this family and work through some things. As Monster University plan, as our bouncy house is over here and kids are kicking soccer balls and, and it's chaos all around us. But we're having a gospel conversation. And people felt like, well, he didn't get up and present the gospel to everybody. So I'm not gonna, I'm going to boycott that activity and we're going to go stay home. And anyway. this king as he's dealing with this stress of this new reality that his people had entered had crossed another moral line had stepped into uh stepped into cannibalism he then tears his clothes the last part of chapter six tells us how he 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 just steps in he's frustrated and he's angry he lashes out at the at the priest i'm sorry the prophet that's in in the city but let's flip over and skip a couple verses and and go to second kings seven Verse 3. And here's where the story gets really cool. I love this part of the story. It says, and there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. As they are boarding up and as they're running inside, they leave the leper guys outside. And they're between the, the proverbial rock and hard place. Enemies attacking, boarded up gates are behind us. What in the world are we going to do? Thought just everything just went, again, just, just went crazy. And we have no hope. We've got nothing. And they begin to have a conversation, and the Lord gives us a little excerpt of that conversation, which is really cool. And they said, said one to another, why are we sitting here until we die? Verse 4, if we say, let us enter into the city, then the famine's in the city, and we will die there. But if we sit here, we'll die also. So they're like, listen, we've got no good options. Even if we could get into the city, we've got nothing for us there, and there's absolutely nothing for us here. What are we going to do? Sometimes God brings us to those places to use us. Sometimes... God brings us through dark seasons and challenging seasons in order to use us. I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I can tell you that by now people here and statistics tell me there's some folks here struggling with some difficult stuff. I know that's, I know that's what it is. So now I look at our church and look at the story we're in, and I know that God's bringing us through a, a, a challenging season. I'm confident that it's for a greater purpose. I'm confident this is a galvanizing season. 
and it's a purification season as getting us ready for the next season. So whatever challenging situation you find yourself in, know that that is a purification process. And sometimes it's consequences of sin. You got to get the sin out in order for it to be removed. Sometimes it's just because God wants to purify you, wants to challenge you, wants to, wants to clean you. And it's challenging. It sucks. When in the middle of it, there's no way around it. It just absolutely is the worst. Imagine these four guys thinking their life's over and not even anybody around them to comfort them or to, they can't say bye to their wife. There's no FaceTime to side of their kids. There's nothing. They were going to die alone. But that was exactly where God wanted them in order to bring them into the place where he, where he had for them. Check it out. It's just really, really cool. So they, they, this is in the latter part of verse 4. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. Now that was a crazy idea. Why would you go to the guys that were known for beheading and, 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 and doing terrible, terrible things to their enemies? Why would you do those types of things? And so if they spare our lives, that wasn't going to happen. That was like, that was a pipe dream. That wasn't going to happen. But we will live. But if they kill us, well, <laughs> we're going to die anyway. Let's try this one thing. This crazy, harebrained idea. Let's go try it. Let's go see. So when they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, uh, I'm sorry, so they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, behold, there was no one there. I want you to picture this. Sometimes it's easy just to read past this stuff. When we're reading the scripture, sometimes we read it and we just read right past it. I want you to understand what's going on here. These four lepers guys debate probably all day. And they finally make up their mind to go give themselves over to the enemy at the end of the day. Just a most illogical thing that they ever could do. But it was the only option on the table. So they get up at the end of the day. Again, the worst time to do this, this is not when you do this. They go to the camp of the, of the enemies and they realize that nobody is there. This, the encampment had been abandoned. But if we continue to read um, verse number six, it says, if the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said one to another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of, the, of Egypt to come against us, which they imagined this. This wasn't actually what had happened. Hey, God can use the most simple things to deliver you from your challenges. He used a soundtrack, an imaginary soundtrack, to make this army run away in fear. Later, way down in verse 15, we see that they, as they ran away, they shed their garments, they shed their armor, and they were running away from him, I'm sorry, running away from this imaginary sound in their underpants. Now, again, I told you guys I have a little bit of ADD. I have a lot of ADD sometimes. And I just imagine in my head, I imagine this like cartoon reel in my head. And this army like running away, shedding all of their garments and shedding everything. And running in their, in their tidy whities running away from, from nobody, right? From nobody behind them. And, and I know that God has a sense of humor because he, in this moment, I'm sure that God went, <laughs> I'm sure positive of it, that he was like, <laughs> the thing that is at your door, the thing that is putting you in that difficult season, God can remove it just like that. He can remove it and he can move you out of that scenario, out of that season, just like he did his four guys. So verse seven, they, they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, the horses, the donkeys, leaving the camp as it, as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, this is right at the same time. Both same day at twilight. Enemy leaves, four lepers guys come in. Dust is settling, meals still warm, campfire still there. Everything is as it was, just minus the enemy. You're like, where are you going with this, Elmo? Come on, stay with me. It's a cool story. Stay with me. 
First thing they did, verse 8, and these lepers came to the edge of the camp, and they went to a tent, they ate, and they drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and into another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. First thing that they did when they came into this incredible wealth is they began, all they could think about was themselves. It's the first thing they did. All they thought about was themselves. They had just won the lottery. They just won like the mega lottery. They had just, they were now the four most wealthy men in all of the land, maybe even in the entire world. They had an entire army, the Syrian armies, invading armies' wealth at their disposal split four ways. There was no Western Union or money, money wiring. They had to have everything with them that they needed, the gold and the garments and the food and all of the riches and the wealth they needed to sustain this siege these four men now had at their disposal. The first thing that they do is they grab it up and they go out into the desert and they drop to their hands and their knees and they begin to bury it in the city. I'm sorry, in the sand. Now, the first time I read that, I was like, wait, do you guys forget? There's literally a city dying, right? You guys just left that city. Do you remember the smells? If you've ever smelled flesh burning, if you've ever smelled that smell, do you know that that was a smell that was in their nostrils and they didn't forget it? You never forget it. And they, did, you, did you forget that? Did you forget the sounds of that woman screaming out, telling her story to the king because he was walking above the gate and these guys were outside the gate? They would have heard at least part of that exchange. Do you forget? And then verse number nine, something really interesting happens. Verse number nine, one of them says to the other, we're not doing right. This is, I'm paraphrasing, you guys follow along with me. We're not doing right. If we stay here and continue to do this, some, something bad's gonna happen to us. The King James says some mischief is gonna come upon us. Something bad's gonna happen. We know this isn't right. God didn't give us this wealth, didn't give us this treasure, didn't give us this message of deliverance to just stay right here. He entrusted this to us so that we could go deliver a city. And the latter part of this chapter, chapter seven, I encourage you to go home and read this. It's really interesting. Start in the beginning of six, all the way through seven. It'll take you seven or eight minutes. Read through those two chapters and see how all of it ties together. It's really incredible. But here's what happens. These four lepers, the outcasts, the guys that were told they would never be anything, the guys that were left for dead outside, ended up being the four guys that brought the message of hope and deliverance back to a city. Not the prophet that was in the city, not the king that was in the city, not his armor bearers, not his, not his strong men, not any of his armies or any of the priests or any of the people that you would think would be the people to be the ones to deliver the message of hope. God chose four lepers. And goodness gracious, that gives me a ton of hope. It gives me a ton of hope. You know why? Because I got issues, man. I, I, I know probably you're not accustomed to pastors saying that they struggle with sin and have issues in their life. And I'm constantly, I'm also an extra grace required guy frequently. I love my wife and my wife is full of grace and she loves me in spite of all of my imperfections. And God also loves me in spite of all of my imperfections and has asked me, even though I am a leprous guy, just like these four guys, he's invited me in to be a message deliverer. He's invited me to be a hope dealer. He's invited me to be the guy that gets to take the message of hope from one place to another. So, so here's what I get to do. I get to take the message of hope from places like this, who have churches that have been established for many years, and people who have walked in the faith for many years, sir, we were talking earlier, men who, and women who have been in faith for many years. I'm able to take that message of hope and go to places like Lima, Peru, and now Tijuana, Mexico, and be able to explain the, that message of hope to people 
who have never heard or who have heard something weird and convoluted and have no idea what the gospel actually is. My job, I get to take the message of hope to people who are dying, to people who, who have already crossed that line into some unimaginable, horrible sin, who have no idea that they're on the way to hell. That's, my, that's, that's what my job is. I get the opportunity to be on the bleeding edge of missions and train people. I've got three young men in my church that have been called into missions, and we're starting in three weeks a program called Ministry Residency, and I'm going to spend a year with these three men preparing them for ministry. And then we'll talk about seminary, and then we'll talk about other things. Um, the, the, one of the guys is the guy that's with me on stage holding the mic. His name is Lalo. His story is for another day, but as you can tell, his appearance uh, tells part of that story. And God has redeemed him, and now he wants to be a pastor. He was a gangbanger, man, and he wants to be a pastor. That story is a story of redemption, and that's what I'm here for. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, we're going we're gonna to end there. We're going to start landing this thing there. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Right in the middle of a section where Jesus is talking about how to love your enemies, that's really difficult for us to do. Difficult for the believers in the first century, it's also difficult for us to do as well. Uh, it's been a thing, it's been a theme throughout all of Christianity. Um, Jesus is talking about this in verse 27, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Uh, verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then he goes down, he continues that thought about loving your enemies, and then he steps into a section about judging others, because that's also been a theme throughout Christianity for some time. Then he says, judge not, do not be judged, condemn not, do not be condemned. That's one of the most misquoted passages in all of the Bible. Um, anyway, at forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38 is where I want to land here. It says, give, and will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. Shaken together, running over, and we put it into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Church, we as believers have been entrusted with this incredible message of the gospel. We have been entrusted with the best message the world's ever heard. A message that's completely turned the Roman world on its head. Could turn the entire known world upside down. We now, 2,000 years later, are bearers of that same message. And the way it's worked for 2,000 years, the story of Jesus is one of the only stories of people who were crucified that escaped to the first century. We have almost no record of all the other men and women that died that way. Why did the message of Jesus make it out of the pages of history? Why are we now here? Because the Holy Spirit protected it and entrusted it to people like you and I. And throughout all of the issues, throughout all of the history with the Catholic Church and all of its issues, and throughout all of the divisions and all of the struggles and all the challenges throughout those 2,000 years, here we are today talking about Jesus. <laughs> and we are the next generation of, armor, uh, uh, of, of bearers, that message bearers. We're the torch holders now for our generation. Just like the 2,000 years prior to us, there were several hundred generations of people before us holding it. And Jesus commands us here to give. 
what is he talking about? What's give? What's, what's, he, what's he referring to? He's referring to every element of our life. Most importantly, the three areas that we measure in our ministry, time, talent, and treasure, the three areas that we measure in our ministry, we talk about amongst our, our leadership and our servant, uh, our servant leadership, our volunteer team. We talk about giving time, talent, and treasure. We need, and, and it all comes around the word generosity. Being generous with what God has invested for us. Because just like those four lepers, we, we all live with treasure that God's given us in one of those three categories. We have health, we have time, we have talent, and we have treasure. And so many times we, as Americans, believe that God has entrusted that to us because he loves us. And therefore, our benefit. God's given me extra time, so I'm going to spend my extra time on my family. Or God's given me extra money, so I'm going to buy that new truck or that new house or that new thing because God's given it to me because he loves me. Or I'm going to invest my talent to make more treasure because we put ourselves in the center of the universe. This is where, the, this is where it gets kind of uncomfortable, so hang on with me, okay? It gets a little uncomfortable right here, so I hope you, I hope you don't tune me out. You guys still with me? Back row Baptist back there, you're still with me? Right? Okay. God does not give those things to you for your benefit. God does not give you extra time for you. He does not give you extra time for your own benefit. He does not entrust talent to you for your own benefit, nor does he entrust treasure to you for your own betterment. Just like these four lepers, they realized, well, boy, we're not doing well. God's invested in you because he knows that you're going to in turn be a good steward of that investment, of that time, of that talent, and of that treasure. Normally, I have a dumb, dumb sucker. You guys know what a dumb, dumb sucker is? Normally, I have them with me. I didn't bring one today. They don't sell them in Mexico. I couldn't put my hands on one. Anyway, can you guys imagine I got a dumb, dumb sucker in my hand? You guys with me? Because I don't have one with me. My wife's going to be watching this later. Sorry, babe. I don't have it with me. Um, she's the one that takes care of details. But again, I'm ADD and I forget these things. So... Imagine I've got one with me. So often what we do is we take that, we take our time and our talent and our treasure and we, and we close our hand and we think, no, this is ours. This is mine. I, I'm, not, I'm afraid to lose it. If I, if I invest it in that ministry and they misappropriate it, then I've lost it. Or if I spend my time working with that kid and he goes back into addiction, I've lost it. Or if I, if I, if I leverage my equity I have with my boss and I recommend him for a job and he messes up, I've lost it. So I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm not going to invest in ministry. I'm not going to invest in, in this. I'm not going to invest my time. I'm not going to leverage my equity. I'm not going to do any of those things. And I'm just going to hold this right here because I'm afraid to lose it. What happens is God continues to bless, but because your hand is closed, you don't participate in any of those blessings. You're stuck with just what you have and that's it. But when we leave our hands open and we say, God, I am all in and what I have is yours and what I have, you've entrusted me and I'm going to leverage it for your kingdom. All of my time, all of my talent and all of my treasure, I'm going to invest it to extend your kingdom. When we live this way and not this way, then we are able to stick our hands into that, into that, that flow of blessings coming from heaven. We're able to then entrust us with more. And the image that we see that Jesus gives here in, in Luke 6, 38 is that our cup doesn't get bigger, right, guys? Our cup overflows. 
our instinct is then to go get another bigger cup. Right? That's our instinct. We want to we get a, the biggest size cup because God's given me more and I need to have a bigger cup. I need the bigger house or the bigger car or the bigger 401k or the bigger whatever because God's blessing me. You guys are missing the point. It's not so that you can get a bigger cup. It's so that your cup overflows. And what happens when your cup overflows, everybody in your proximity becomes blessed. Everybody in your circle becomes a partaker of the things that God's entrusting to you. You see, this is what's happening here. It's not because we're bigger, because if we get a bigger cup, those around us, their flow dries up. What's around, those people around us then are robbed of the blessings that God's, and eventually God's going to see that you're misappropriating. He's going to cut you off. He's going to find somebody else. And then you're going to be like, why is God judging me? Well, you, because you were foolish. Because you made a bad decision. Missions is not something reserved for people like me who are vocationally in this thing or Pastor Jim. Missions is something that we all are responsible for. Peter tells us that we're all saints. There's no divide between secular and, 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 and spiritual. There's no divide. There's no laity and, and priests. We're all priests. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, we're all priests. We all have the responsibility to tell our neighbors, our coworkers, even the people who we're not friendly with, we have the responsibility to tell them about Jesus and how he saved us. So I have a couple questions. Uh, maybe you think, no, but, and we put all these excuses. I can't because, well, listen, if God can use four lepers who were literally next in line to die in the most grotesque and difficult season in the Old Testament to deliver a message of hope from point A to point B, we never see this man again. It wasn't about them in the first place. It was about the message that they were able to deliver to a city, how God intervenes and save the city. And it was very unique, but it's never, it's not about you. It's not about me. Cindy, it's not about you. Mitch, it's not about you, buddy. It's about like these name tags thing. This is awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's not about us. Robin, it's not about you. It's about the message that you carry and the people that are in your influence, in your circle of influence that you can bless because your cup is overflowing. How do we get to that point where our cup's overflowing? Be obedient to the message that we saw in Matthew chapter 28. Summarized everything in one verse. Go, teach, and baptize. Go baptize and teach. That's the order. Go doesn't mean go to Mexico, although I'd love to have you. Go doesn't mean go to Indonesia, which I'm sure that there are people who need, and that's an element, that's a part of it. Go means get off your butt and, and engage the people who are around you. People who need to know about Jesus, the hope that we have, the life-changing hope that we have. I'm going to ask, uh, we're going to stand if you don't mind. I'm going to ask that we stretch our legs. Somebody coming up and getting on that piano. I'm going to start, we're going to really start landing this thing now. If you guys don't mind joining me standing, please. God's calling you to be obedient in this process. It's not a process that excludes you. You don't have an out. You don't have an excuse to not participate. It is obligatory. 
when you signed up, it was part of the deal. You don't, there is no position in the kingdom that allows for you to just be a bench warmer. That doesn't exist. It's, you don't get to outsource it to me. You don't get to outsource it to Pastor Jim. It's something that we all do. Your friends, I'll never meet. Your coworkers, I'll never meet. I, I do not get a chance to engage, neither does your pastor, the people that you know and you have influence in their lives. Your responsibility is to take the message of hope from this place, from your home, to their home. What excuses have you been putting in your life? What excuses? No, but not, they'll make fun of me, or that's not how things are here. Or, I don't really talk to people, or what if they, I don't want my neighbors to know I'm really religious because then they'll think I'm weird, right? You don't know Coronado Elmo, right? What other excuses have you put? Do you think you're disqualified? Forget about it. Listen, these four leprous guys were the most unqualified people. We don't even know their stinking names. But yet God had leveraged them. He used them. He engaged them to advance the kingdom, jumping over a whole bunch of people who were more qualified. Still don't give me that. It doesn't cut it. So I want everybody to close your eyes real quick. I want to do one thing. I want you to imagine the person that you know doesn't know Jesus that's in your circle. I'm not gonna tell me about him. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna call you out. I'm just in your head right now, the person that you know, the guy you work for, or the guy you work with, the lady in your community, whatever, that you know doesn't live for Jesus. But right now, you know they would pick up the phone if you called. That person, that person, I want you to pray for that person right now. If you're telling me, Elmo, I don't have somebody who's lost who would pick up the phone if I called them. Shame on you. You need to have some more friends that won't follow Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. We need to have friends that don't follow Jesus. We're going to pray for those people right now. And lastly, if you've listened to this entire talk and you think, what is this kid talking about? Jesus, faith, missions. I have no idea what he's talking about. If you've never taken the step to place your faith in Jesus, I want to pray for you right now. Everybody's still got their eyes closed. Nobody's engaging right now. This is just a real quiet time. I want you to seek believers. I want you to seek Jesus. I want, I want you to really ask him to lead you. If you've not taken that faith, if you've not asked Jesus to be your savior, not placed your faith in his teachings and have confidence that what he taught us is true. I want today to be that day. I'd be honored to be part of that process to help guide you along that way. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna ask you to come up here and talk to me. If you've not taken that step, I'd love to talk with you. Look at me right now if you wanna make that, if you wanna do that, take that next step. Your, everybody here is telling me they're believers. If, if, if you want to take that next step, man, I'd love to talk with you. You can do it now. We can do it after service. I got all afternoon. Let's pray one more time, church. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Father, thank you that we can be here in this building as your church. That we're not in a church. We are your church. And we're here in this in this building as your ecclesia, your called out people 
Father, I ask that you guide us. Father, I ask that you lead us as we engage our community this week in a new, fresh way, inspired by the story we see in the Old Testament and convicted by what we see in the New Testament. Father, I ask that you speak through the scriptures, through our devotions and through our, our quiet time and continue to convict us, Father, about missions and engaging the lost for you. Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Well, uh, I don't really have anything else for you, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Elmo, for joining us and for bringing God's word to us. We are so thankful for that. Um, let's uh, lead it out with a little bit of music here, and then you guys are dismissed. <clears throat> Oh, oh.